Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Space Update, a live episode this one, part of the fantastic Total Space Network. Coming up today, we'll be talking Starship, Skyrora, Virgin Galactic, plus all the latest space news. I'm your host Ryan and join me today is... I'm Nico, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. I'm another space note, I just linger around the show. I'm Rich LB, co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary, thank you for having me on the show, Ryan. You were merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. Just kidding. I'm Kage, also a co-host of uh, Becoming Multiplanetary. Hold on, let me take the mask off. Just kidding, it's another mask! <laughs> <laughs> okay, alright, seriously. Just kidding, no, not really. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No problem at all, no problem at all. Let's just get to it, guys. Um, first off, let's address the most exciting news of the year. Enroll 34 finally launched. <laughs> yeah. After quite long. Since uh, 27th of August, that one, um, after many delays, problems with the pad, problems with the rocket, it finally, finally got launched, that one. Glad to see it finally launch. Yeah, it was about time. What was it? Almost six months? Le- yeah, le- well, not six months. Uh, about three to four, something like that. August, 27th of August, end of August. So about nearly four months. But uh, I'm sure there's been a few more longer delays than that. But glad to see that just utterly riddled with problem after problem, wasn't it? Good to see it finally get off the ground. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, beautiful night launch. So, was the last time they'd tried to launch it prior to that on the September 30th when they had that uh, computer glitch? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Um, they had a compu- computer glitch, then there was problems with the pad, I think, last, because um, the swing arms wouldn't move out the way of the pad. Um, so they literally had to drain hundreds, of, if not thousands of gallons of oil out of the entire pad and then take it all apart, put it back together, whatever they needed to do. Um just seems absolutely plagued that um that entire system as a whole, really. Hence why it's getting took out of action next year and then Vulcan coming online. Yeah, and let's not forget the super secret payload. And also moving on obviously the elephant in the room, we had uh, SN8 launch. Um we obviously covered that in Miko's deep dive uh, just uh, earlier on in the week and everything, or last week even. Seems only like a few days ago, but it's nearly a week ago now. Yeah, we've been pushing out content too fast. <laughs> we also we also covered that in uh, the uh, most recent Becoming Multiplanetary episode, which has has it been released yet, or is that it yeah, it's out now? Yeah. It's out now. Okay, yeah. today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we also covered it there and uh, talked with uh, Steffi, uh, also known as Split Second Mom from What About It, and uh, T.J. Cooney from. Uh, I need more space, and uh, it was a really, really interesting discussion about where not only the the reactions from everyone about uh, SN8, which was just absolutely breathtaking, but also uh, where where that's going to take us, and it's just that's that's the start of everything, really. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Sorry, can I just quickly interject for a second? We are having a bit of a technical problem currently. If you're on a mobile device, there's a couple of our uh, uh, hosts blocked by the chat overlay. We will fix that now for you. Uh, there is only there's only you that's partially blocked by the chat overlay. I've just sent you a screenshot of a chat overlay, Rich. But uh, fantastic to see SN8 um, launch and everything. Absolutely incredible. I was just absolutely uh, panicking. Will it, will it will it launch? Will it do the flip? Will it land? And then when it got that like literally that close to landing, it was just Absolutely unbelievable. When I saw the green flame, I thought, this isn't going to do it. Something wrong with the fuel mix there. It's a locks rich or something. 
engine rich. Yeah, engine rich. I was I was totally certain that it was it was not going to make that kick maneuver and it was going to flip belly up and just land on its side and like ninety five percent of the way almost there. Yeah, yeah. When it was at the apogee, when it was like on that final engine at the very top, it looked like it was almost going to fall backwards and then the gravity thrusters kicked it and then it dropped and then it was kind of like. Well, I meant I meant more the uh, when, when it came in on the belly flop and it uh, kicked itself out and came back down back vertical. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to make it that far. Like I, I figured, it was. It was going to overshoot. That was the point where it was just like, "Oh my god, it's going to do it! It's going to do it! It's actually going to do it!" <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but that was just unbelievable to see. We're still having a few technical difficulties there, Aaron. All fixed. Spot on. Spot on. But uh, now we've got uh, SN9 uh, a little bit drunk in the high bay, going a bit sideways there. I think they actually got SN9 up again. Yeah, yeah, just literally, I believe last night got the uh, one of the large cranes out and everything back back up on either repaired the test the the stand that it's getting built on or just put a new one in all together. So hopefully we'll see that one out in the pad literally within some of them within the next week or two if uh, once all the re- those repairs to the apps and everything are done. I mean, it's minimal repair. It's lucky that we, it was only a slight topple it took and that it was inside the high bay. You know, that could have been much worse. So hopefully it shouldn't cause too much of a delay for the Starship program. But do you think that they will actually fly it? Because there there seems to be a little bit of some damage that you can uh, see on it. And I mean, when you when you really think about it, there are so many intricate things that they've already built on top of it. So many welds that are now inaccessible, so many components that they've put into place, uh, electronics and so many other things that it would just, it might even take too much to uh, inspect it to make sure that it's flight worthy than just to scrap it and start over with SN10, would it be? I think yeah, the, I think if it patches the pressure test and everything else, I think that proves that the majority of the internals are okay pressure-wise. And then if they want to do the static fire, it'll prove out whether the, all the fuel lines are okay and nothing's buckled or anything like that. So last I heard, one of the flaps got damaged when it tipped over. So I don't know if if the actuators are actually pretty badly damaged on that. I'm not sure if it will go. There is a pothole in the side that you can actually get in um, before it gets fueled up and everything. So I'm assuming there must be some way they can get into a section of it, of it if not maybe all of it, depending if they want to any bodge repairs on the inside. Bit of a tight squeeze poking around in there. Yeah. And moving on to some more news, uh, Skyrora, their Skylark L vehicle, uh, undergoing ground segment integration testing for flight preparations in 2021, um, just the second quarter. So we're looking at uh, spring, summer next year that we might see Skyrora here in the UK, check back to the skies for the first time in, uh, what, 50 years since uh, the Black Arrow project? It's been a long time. A long, long time. Well overdue, that one. Um, and obviously we had uh, Robin Haig on a previous show interviewing him about the recent milestone of their vacuum engine. And literally Robin just uh, introducing Skyro and everything on that episode. But uh, I think it's exciting that uh, the UK returning to space because obviously we've got a lot of satellite companies here in the UK and everything. Um, Surrey Satellites and uh, many, many others. Um, I think it's just absolutely incredible. And then you've got Orbex as well um, with their Prime Rocket. Uh, but I believe they're aiming for 2022, so Skyrora might just beat them to the uh, the finishing line on that one. I think it's great, and it's important, as you were saying, the UK becoming a launch provider 
You know, we make world-class satellites, undeniable, you know, world-renowned satellites. How many of those do we actually launch? Zero. Things are changing for the UK, and with the birth of the first UK spaceport, we're going to see some big players move into town as well, I would imagine. Yeah, and um, obviously you've got the spaceport up in Sutherland getting built, and then there's potentially one in the, the, up in the Shetland Islands and everything. Uh, loads of con- controversy over that and the, the money inside and everything like that. And why we've got two spaceports when we've only got two potential companies in the UK, I don't know how that will work. Because I know the Skyrock, uh, Sky, Skylark L, sorry, uh, that's actually really like a mobile launch vehicle that can be launched from anywhere so it doesn't necessarily need these essentially launch pads that are being built it can essentially just be launched off of the back of a a converted flatbed truck of sorts plus one of the nice things is with uh, the the current and proposed uh launch sites in the united kingdom there are a lot of uh, inclinations that they can launch uh, into so they have uh, a whole lot of customers that they could uh, make themselves accessible to which would be uh, fantastic for a lot of launch providers and uh, good for jobs, good for uh, building up a lot more infrastructure. There's a lot of good things to come from that. It wouldn't surprise me if they ended up uh, putting a lot of launch sites out on somewhere like the Western Isles of Scotland where it's a bit more remote. Yeah, because obviously you don't want uh, any rockets launching anywhere near small towns or villages up in the north or even just anywhere in the path of the rocket while it's up launching in the air going. Obviously it doesn't go straight up, it goes sideways into space as we, as we all know not to mention uh the i don't know if you know this but the central if you were to draw a line up the center of england to scotland that's more or less your main flight corridor for any flights coming from the top of scotland down into england so you can't really put anything in the center of scotland to launch because you'll be obstructing the flight corridor yeah yeah definitely so it's uh it's all planned out and everything. And um, Orbex have recently announced um, secured twenty four million in f- funding round. Um, so obviously, as last few weeks, we've seen them advertising lots more new jobs for uh, technicians, engineers, and the like. So a lot of a lot going on at Orbex. Considering uh, we haven't seen too much from them. Well, actually... good. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, Rich. Oh, okay. Uh, are we actually, funnily enough. Uh, Aaron actually pinged me one of their adverts because they were looking for coders as well. Pinged me one on Twitter and I'm like, oh, Orbex are looking to recruit. Okay. <laughs> Considering they just... Oh, right, you were just a little bit tempted. You're like, oh, should I? <laughs> well, it's, it's literally like maybe 10, 15 minutes sort of that way for me. So just off the coast of that planet there. Yeah. <laughs> just to, just where the little nebula is and everything, yeah. But... um. <laughs> Marketing one as well. I was slightly tempted with that, but uh, being the face of Orbex, nah. <laughs> don't think I quite cut it. I don't think. You never know. I mean, I think there's not just Orbex and Skyrora. You know, in terms of the UK becoming an active launch provider, I know. Um, I believe it was me and you, Ryan, that were talking about the Lockheed Martin interest in the UK spaceport. There's also yeah. Black Arrow Space Technologies, who we've been in contact with that plan to do a really amazing sea launch system. They're coming on to talk space with us at some point in total space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's, all, it's all fantastic, that's go- that everything that's going on in the UK in general, really. Um, and just jumping to another, another round of uh, funding, uh, NASA's actually awarded um, Firefly, um, Astra, 
and relativity space, relativity space um, each around about Astron relativity got uh, three million worth of funding and Firefly nine point eight. Um, although three of these haven't quite launched just yet, they're on the the brink, and this gives them a lot of uh, drive to get their vehicles up, up into space because obviously uh, Astra literally in the next day or so they're launching fingers crossed for them on their second launch and Firefly are gearing up for their very first launch it's be amazing to see as well and relatively relatively space um, not too uh, familiar with them but I'm sure they're not too far off as well any predictions on what's going to happen to Astra hopefully it'll get uh, get orbital this time obviously uh, it went uh, slightly out of range and we have to uh, literally put the engine and bring it back down, I think, I believe. Uh, yeah, that's what they did. Astra have been selected recently by NASA to, NASA to deliver CubeSats, have they not? That's what this part of uh, the funding was, the NASA, NASA Venture Class Launch Service Demonstration 2 contract, it's called. Bit of a mouthful, well, that's what it is. And uh, that, that's part of, the, part of this. The, they got about 3.9 million, um, as well as the two other companies. So... Good little uh, drive for nanosats and microsats and cubesats of various sizes. It's cool yeah, that it's they were great to see. Yeah, great to see them having a contract since they lost the DARPA contract earlier. Yeah, they were, I believe they were the, one, the only ones left in the, the DARPA contract because they started off with quite a few companies involved and then people dropped out and companies went bust and this, that and the other and then... At the end of it, I think Astra, I believe Astra were the only ones left in it, technically, and they're still trying to achieve some of the goals within that, even though they're not, it's not technically a, a race as such anymore, because they're the only ones left, so if they win, they win, if they don't, they don't, kind of thing. Yeah. So we have Space Allen asking in the YouTube chat if there is any update on the Bishop's Airlock. Well, that sounds like Anybody a wants to take that question, one? Nico. We spoke briefly about the Bishop Airlock uh, during Space Stations, did we not? Yeah, the Bishop Airlock is on the station, but I haven't been keeping up to date whether they have actually connected it yet to the ISS, or is it still on the rank of the Dragon? I believe it's still on the trunk at the moment, and they're going to fit it at some point. Uh, they've only just got there a few days ago. Um, but obviously, it's fitted to the back of that trunk, so they'll have to disconnect it. Imagine they'll probably do it just before the Dragon module leaves the space station, um, just to not expose that uh, heat shielding as the, uh, the capsule, if they do intend to recover it. Going back to Astra, um, uh, thank you, Susie, for uh, pointing this out. They have their uh, apparently their next launch attempt um, tomorrow at 1900 UTC, so 7 p.m. Uh, UTC. Yeah, I'm going to try and uh, tune in for that, even though it's not live anywhere we can follow Kind of follow it up on uh, on Twitter because they're quite uh, active on Twitter, and they've got a few photographers down on site as well. Just uh, unbelievable scenery of that place that where Astra is, though. So whereabouts yeah. is it then? Uh, Kodiak, Alaska. Oh wow! Yeah, I bet you get yeah. some great views out there. Yeah, it's just literally yeah. you see the rocket, then it's just hilly, snowy mountains in the background. It's just like I can't all rockets just launch with this scenery. <laughs> <laughs> And also, we've uh, we've got uh, recently Virgin Galactic uh, made a, another attempt at uh, getting the spaceship to Unity uh, into up into orbit. Uh, to do that, I don't know if you've seen the, the way it maneuver it does once it's up in space, it goes up, does a bit of a backflip, and then it comes back down to space, um, hoping to get passengers and uh, satellites and experiments on that little uh, 
on that vehicle. Um, early update on the flight, the ignition suite sequence for the rockets uh, didn't actually complete, which uh, at the end of the day just brought the vehicle back down to ground, which um, echoes similarities to uh, Virgin Orbit with their launch one rocket from the that 747. Yeah. Uh, did any of you watch the live stream that was uh, streamed by NASA space flight? Uh, Jack Bayer was running with his car and filming the skies and he actually got the ignition of the space plane but after about a second the engine just turned off yeah i've seen bits of bits of bits of the replays and everything so i never man- managed to catch it but you just saw like the engine trying to kick in and the smoke coming out and then just nothing really happened and so you just, you just as soon as you just saw it just like yep that thing's going back down but uh, luckily it's a space plane so it's uh easily recoverable could just land safely just like you a little bit like a shuttle in a way to a certain extent yeah glad everybody's safe I mean, I'd, I'd rather them be safe and I bought a launch attempt than have a boom. And I know that we're all rocket nerds, we like booms, but at the same time, it's better to see successful launches than failed launches. Especially with humans involved. Yeah, for sure. And um, also a little bit news on Virgin Orbit. They were also uh, planning to do a few tests themselves on the launch of one. But um, due to whatever that horrible thing that's going around in the world at the moment um apparently a few of the staff have caught it and just took precautionary measures yeah <laughs> well you mask people <laughs> yeah wear a mask everyone my friend does like us well <laughs> but um apparently a couple of staff caught it and just took precautionary measures and due to uh, that many people just taking the measures needed um it just wasn't safe to proceed with the the launch speaking of uh a virgin the um the attempt uh that they just did it's uh i mean it, it's it's great that uh everything ended safely but one thing that is a little bit concerning is the impact that it had on the company so um this has set them back until at least somewhere in Q1 of 2021 at the earliest and it also had a huge impact on their share prices they went from uh uh, 32 euro and three cents down to I think it's currently 26 euro and 54 cents, so down 17 percent instantaneous drop. So it's uh, it's it's going to be a challenge for them to recover from that. I'm sure they will, but um, they're they're going to feel the sting of this for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're still in the testing stage, so it's until they get that all that hardware inside the vehicle absolutely nailed and done. That's when we'll start to see. Uh, People and commercial payloads and people of the general public paying good money to go up there and into space. I mean, Virgin have been trying to put people in space a while now. They're probably one of the giants of the space tourism industry that's now starting. But we're still at that point where we're transitioning over, you know, despite being one of the biggest names in space tourism. How many people have they sent space? We're getting there, but I think it's slow and steady. Space is hard, right? Yeah. I mean, what is it? Rocket science? <laughs> <laughs> and um, obviously, uh, New Shepard, that's supposed to be a, um, you know, just the general public eventually. They've got that capsule that will just eventually just to the edge of space and then just float back down. We've seen a few tests of that already. Um, that's, I don't know how, how far off they are with the, the little New Shepard for people that are paying public to go on that. But um, to get people onto vehicles, it's a long process really isn't it 
I, I have to say, when it comes to Blue Origin, my one sort of guilty pleasure, I'll admit, is I really can't wait to see what they do with the new Gwen. Since we've only seen what the payload fairing and a B4 engine, and that's about it. That's all we've seen, literally. I think maybe a few little snippets of other things. I think when it does eventually I mean, get built, it's going to be awe inspiring. Yeah, for sure. And, and that landing sequence, how they initiate all that and everything. We've obviously seen mock-ups and people's CGI versions of it and everything like that and on around on YouTube and how people think it's going to go landing on a ship, landing on the ground and all that. But until you see it, that's like, it's just like a thousand times better, isn't it? And it's, and it's hard to overstate just how massive this thing is. Um, it's a little bit bigger than actually a, a decent amount bigger than uh what an entire uh starship super heavy stack will be so it's um it's gonna be huge and I mean, it's no small rocket. yeah it's it's not a small rocket by any means and um when that thing finally takes flight and especially when it uh, makes its landing attempts it's gonna be really interesting especially given the fact that we've had so much publicity from starship we've been seeing it built before our eyes and prototypes before our eyes uh, along with uh, at least a little bit of Super Heavy, but pretty much everything about New Glenn has been done in absolute secrecy, save for a couple of things mentioned, like the fairings and uh, uh, the BE-4 engine. But when that is finally debuted, whoa. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've got uh, ULA with the Vulcan testing those engines first, so that's the only thing we're going to see first. And I believe Tori says the BE-4 engines, ULA are actually going to do the test run with them before New Glen even flies in theory. So the origin and ULA are quite closely knit by the looks of it, helping each other out. Yeah, speaking of new rockets, did anyone know this uh, Roscosmos launched Angara rocket today? And I think it was successful. First time in six successful. years. Yeah, first time in six years. Yeah. The third launch, I think, of that rocket officially. Like that. Not very many, many launches, considering it's been around for. Eight, eight to nine years, maybe. Yeah, it's been a long time in development. And obviously, we've got um, them trying to develop their own Falcon 9 style rocket as well, aren't they? We've seen that uh, bumbling around on up on uh, Twitter and everywhere. Yeah. It's we have seen, yeah. Essentially, a, a miniature Falcon 9, literally copying it as we've seen with the Iran space shuttle and everything like that and other projects. It, well, we solve a problem that's already been solved at the end of the day. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, if you if you look at, for example, take take the Buran and um, the uh, Energia rocket uh, that I was strapped to, they they took something that was already solved, but they did so much better with it, and a lot arguably uh, arguably uh, so much better with it in a lot of ways. Uh, not least to mention the fact that uh, they made it a completely autonomous system, whereas. Uh, the space shuttle from its very inception had to be piloted, needed uh, people on board. They also um, ditched the uh, solid rocket boosters and went with uh, fuel liquid, uh, uh, fully liquid-fueled rockets on the entire stack so they could do whatever they needed with it. If they needed to shut it down midway through flight, they could. I mean, granted, would people survive that glide back in? Maybe, maybe not, but they still could do that if they needed to. So I'm, I'm actually kind of uh, interested to see where they go with, uh, let's say they do a copycat Falcon 9. They could take something that has been solved and do it even better still. How could you improve on something like that? Who knows, but 
maybe they can. I'm I'm actually quite excited to see that. Yeah, and it's it's essentially is a Falcon Nine. It's I think it's um, about twenty five to thirty percent smaller, so it's not the same size and won't have the same power and everything. But it'd be incredible to see another country essentially copy the same process and try and do it the same thing again. It'd be quite interesting to see, especially for Elon. I'm sure he'll uh, ridicule them all the way along. Yeah, the Russian version has methane engines uh, or metallox engine as well as the European one. And I don't know about Chinese one, but all of them could be even cheaper than Falcon 9. Definitely. I mean, yeah. SpaceX have an 11-year lead in terms of reusable rockets. The closest company behind them are Blue Origin with the new Shepard. You know, that's the only other use case of a, of a usable rocket that's actually flown. And uh, look at how far behind the... Um, development program for the Falcon 9 that is you know and it's about as, a, as, a, as a, I've said to a lot of people I am a SpaceX fanboy I'll be the first person to tell you that when everybody's putting their hopes and dreams on Starship it's for a reason it's because SpaceX are ahead of everybody else you know this is the second generation reusable architecture they're working on most companies don't even have a first generation technology architecture you know it's it's like they've broken so many records at this point that I believe that they probably just got someone living in-house from Guinness at Hawthorne. You know, it's like they're just record after record they're breaking. It's for a reason. You know, this is the sex chapter of the book. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's incredible. Like, if, if you're looking at milestones in terms of what a rocket can do, you know, look no further than the Falcon 9. When everybody laughed at the grasshopper and Elon trying to throw rockets into the sky and land them back down 10 years ago, when it was laughable and people just thought the guy was a moron. Here we are 10 years later, second generation hardware, and it's things are heating up. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, and I think no one laughed after SN8 hop. Yeah, for sure. The, the media are all around the SN8 uh, launch and out failure, if you like, or whatever you want to call it. It was just absolutely just stupid. All the media saying it was just straight away saying, oh, it's a... It's a failure. It wasn't wasn't intended to actually get anywhere near where it's where it actually got. I mean, Elon didn't think it would get off the launch pad. And never mind the flipping up in the air and then come back down and then almost landing. Um, I think the media portrayed it quite bad, badly, really. Could have done a lot better. Well, I mean, of course, they're going to go for the sensationalist thing. Rocket explodes, but nobody injured. Yay. But, I mean, realistically speaking, um, that that truly was the um, the precipice of where the the next generation of rocket technology where what they're developing that was that precipice moment that was that was that cornerstone of really showing the the next generation where things are going to go from here uh because they they were so so damn close with that 95 percent of the way there a little uh, a few more tweaks uh here and there and they're probably going to stick the landing on Maybe even the next attempt should SN9 uh, pass all of its tests and uh, be ready to be, you know, flight certified, flight worthy. Yeah. It might stick that landing. They might actually do this. And then what's next after that? Uh, a few more prototypes of Starship, build uh, a super heavy, and just <laughs> let her rip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think. I think by. SN10, it's going to definitely land. Um, obviously, they have to do that modification with the landing legs because current modifications on that aren't, aren't enough. So Elon's obviously got that conundrum under his belt and trying to solve it. So when we'll see that by SN15, 
and a little bit later on, as he's stated online and everything, uh, we'll see what changes come out in the coming, coming weeks, months, however quick they're building at such a fast pace. I think SMV 15 might come by easily January, February. Yeah, could even, okay, maybe not this year. Yeah, January, February. I yes. mean, we're at the rapid development stage of Starship prototyping by this point. Elon made it very clear at an early stage exactly what's required to make this program work. And along that timeline of events is the rapid prototyping stage. When everyone's going, oh, they've got noses laying around, they've got tank sections laying around, what's going on here? They've got too much hardware. It's for a reason. You know, SpaceX plans to continue throwing things into the air over Texas, and they plan to do it frequently. And let's not forget that um, one of the things that uh, Elon has done as uh, quite a quite a brilliant maneuver is that for the longest time, people looked at it as like, why is he CEO of so many companies? Why is he uh, doing Tesla and SpaceX and Boring Company and everything else that he's involved in? But really, it's because they're all connected in some way. And he's he's made no real secret about it. He's even kind of said as much uh, a few times that one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting is all the all the lessons that he's learned, all the um, uh, knowledge that he's gained, or, or rather not really him so much, but all of the engineers that work for Tesla and uh, will pull that into SpaceX, taking that, um, uh, uh, taking that assembly line uh, mentality from Tesla and turning that into something translated for Starship, where you just start churning out Starships and Super Heavies maybe one or two a week even, or more, uh, using similar technology to what is already used in Tesla. That's yeah. not that far away. I mean, remember, it was only, what was it, only about five years ago that they made the first landing attempt of a Falcon 9. There was and... a picture of that online of uh, how it started and how it's, how it's going kind of thing. It was a picture of the, uh, I think it was one of the, the early, obviously, Falcon ones or Falcon nines. I can't quite remember the, the picture was of, and then it was just obviously Starship and how Falcon Nine is now. It's just incredible to if you compare that to any other company out there. The developments scale from beginning to end. I think it's a hell of a lot quicker than anything else out there. I mean, we haven't we haven't seen this kind of uh, rapid development and going from prototype to something that is actually doing things. And now, in this case, uh, launching humans, at least with the Falcon Nine. Since the Saturn V era, since uh, uh, since the Apollo era, like there's there's been nothing that fast with that much velocity, pun intended, um, since then. I mean, the thing is, I've said it several times, and we've all said it several times on multiple podcasts. SpaceX are so open about this process. You go to ULA or Blue Origin and ask them how their rockets being built, where their rockets being built, jump, you'll get kicked out of sight. SpaceX, they're like, yeah, we'll let 60 people live stream an event. And that's that's bleeding over, you know, like Skyrora, who we also mentioned quite a lot. We're big fans of Skyrora here at Total Space. They're also trying to adopt that open strategy and that open policy. And they're trying to push out on social media and say, look, this is what we are doing. This is what we're achieving. And they're inviting the likes of Ryan, the likes of Felix, or what about him? Well, don't worry about me, like. <laughs> but... But, but the point is they want enthusiastic people on site to witness these milestones even, you know, that like SpaceX haven't gone that far. But the point is that bleed over from what SpaceX are doing is leading to other in, industry future giants adopting that same strategy. 
Yeah, and it's just incredible to see. I mean, there's so many new projects going on there, especially with the large companies doing the new rockets, but then you've got all the new and smaller companies doing all the incredible developments as well, with the likes of Rocket Lab doing incredible things that they're doing. Um, just a lot going on in space in general right now. It's incredible to see, especially in this day and age. Ryan, do we have time to segue into a uh, listener-selected topic? Yeah, questions. If anyone's got any questions there, YouTube, Discord, um, just fire away. So Warhawk wanted us to cover a little bit about Artemis funding. Now, I've got something to start off with on this. We already know that the Senate recently announced that they allocated $1 billion to NASA, which is about $2.4 billion shy of what they wanted for the lunar landers. So... As of right now, we believe that that project may be delayed because of that lack of funding. Um, and from the 12 funding bills that they released for the following year, uh, they the legislation would allocate a total of roughly $23.5 billion to NASA. Overall, an increase over last year's NASA budget, but roughly $1.75 billion less than the administration has asked for. So we'll start there. I mean, funding's key on anything, but when it comes to Artemis and all of that, it's just incredible the amount of money that's going into into it. When you obviously when you compare it to the likes of SpaceX, it's probably a bit unfair to compare it to that in a way. But at the same time, when you can see what they're doing and everything, it's kind of like why are you spending so much on that? Why are you spending much so much on this? Um, but hopefully, they can secure that last bit of funding to at least see the project through rather than letting all that hard work from not just America but Europe and all around the world because it's uh, a lot of countries are contributing a hell of a lot of work towards the SLS and the Artemis program as a whole. And the thing that will help with the funding is that they actually released a list of possible candidates for Artemis mission astronauts. And don't forget when faced with impossible challenges of a reduced budget do remember there are companies out there that do very much enjoy the memes and they will go and collect moon rocks for you for one dollar namely lunar outpost <laughs> no i mean the thing is that every everybody's worried about the artemis budget and it is a lot of money you know i'm not i'm not saying i wouldn't like the shortfall in this year's budget difference but then when you compare it on the grand scheme on say you know military budgets or um, other other government projects. I'm not necessarily going to get too political here, but other government projects. You know, the the cost is 10, 15, 20 times what the space budget is per year. Um, but we do. You know, there is companies that work on shoestring budgets. There's companies that work on large budgets. Ultimately, the SLS is going to get built, and the Artemis will go ahead, irrespective of a, a, a billion in shortfall of funding you know it's backed by a government they're already heavily invested into the entire development of the sls and everything else to accompany the moonshot it's gonna go ahead make no mistake definitely definitely it's just incredible to uh see because we're still seeing the rocket being tested um i mean i believe the core boosters and it's almost in its final stage to like those five uh five engines down at the test stand i bet it's the stennis I can't quite remember the name of it, but it's the core booster anyway. That's um, getting tested very soon, so it'll be incredible to see all those engines. We've already seen the side boosters out in the desert, blowing a, blowing a hole in a mountain. 
Uh, it'd be nice to see those uh, core booster engines light up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, in, springing back to Artemis, I know Kage, you you mourn the loss of the the Lunar Gateway quite keenly. Well, it's it's not lost yet. It's just um, no longer considered critical for the Artemis program. So it's it's one of those things where uh, if they have to find something to scrap because they've um, lost so much of the the budget ask then that's probably going to be the first big thing on the axe uh, or to be axed rather and i i mean i i, I do uh in advance mourn that because um i think it's it's one of those things where like if you look at especially the saturn 5 and the apollo program before we sent astronauts to the moon we first sent them around the moon before we did that we first sent them into low Earth orbit to make sure that things worked. Before even that, we sent uh, several Saturn Vs up autonomously just to make sure that everything worked together. And so there, there is a good. I there's there's a um, a lot to be said for doing something similar around the moon before we start sending human lives to Mars or Venus or anywhere else really, because at least you can test. At the very least, you can test how cosmic radiation will interact with human bodies for such a long duration in a moon orbit, in a lunar orbit, rather than just say, YOLO, yeet them to, to Mars and uh, see what happens. Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> well, we did speak a little bit about that whole moon first, Mars first attitude on uh, BM last week, didn't we? Yes, sir, we did. Where can everyone catch that, Rich? Say again? Where can everyone catch that? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, Becoming Multiplanetary. You can catch it right here on our YouTube channel. That's uh, been uploaded as of Monday as well. Or you can catch it on Anchor and all of the various platforms it distributes to, including Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. There's quite a few. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, chances are if you look up Total Space, you'll find us. And while we're talking, yeah, while we're talking about socials, uh, for anybody who is watching this stream either live or uh, who's catching it after uh, the re uh, the recording, uh, make sure to hit the like button. Um, that's uh, very helpful. That uh, helps us with uh, engagements. Make sure that uh, we reach a wider audience and uh, others can enjoy the content that you're also enjoying. And since we're all doing shameless plugs, we do have a Patreon and we do have Patreon supporters funding coffee rounds and just generally amazing people. Do get access to the Discord. You know, we've got Patreon members right now listening in uh, behind the scenes as we record the show. Most are chatting away in the YouTube chat as well. That is one of the perks of supporting Total Space as well as enabling us to make better and better content. So think about um, potentially supporting us. That's uh, Patreon slash Total Space. And also we've got uh, the Deep Dive episodes with yourself, Miko, don't we? Yeah, Deep Dive Fridays are on Friday, and the next one will be to be, will be about SpaceX booster fleet with Stinger NSW. Tune into that. Thank you very much, guys, for listening in and watching from wherever you are in the world. Uh, I've been Ryan from the Space Update. I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. I've been another Space Not. I do podcasts. I've been Rich LB, co-host on Becoming Multiplanetary. And finally, I am Kage, uh, also co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary. And just before we wrap up there, I'd just like to take my usual moment at the end of every episode.
Read them off, Rich. Come on. Yep, exactly. You know it's coming. Read them off. <laughs> so, we'd like to give special thanks to all our Patreons. We have Sammy Oscuro, What About It, Jishwan and Sebastian, Gio Pagliari, Framrick, Susie R, and Marco. Thank you all very much for supporting the channel. And as yeah. Aaron said earlier, if you'd love to come and support the channel, you'd like to hear what we do as well, and you'd like to become a Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash total space. Thanks, guys. I'll catch you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day, guys.